Hey guys, so um, I just wanted to do a quick um, episode. I know that really I made this, I think, um, primarily for genealogy, and I haven't been talking about genealogy in um, so long, and I know that a lot of people um, uh, definitely wanted to hear some stuff about that, and I think it's actually really interesting. I have a lot of like interesting stories and stuff like that that might, um, I guess, grab people's interest. So, um, you know, I think I I have um, been, or at least last time I was focusing on my great-grandmother's side, but now I thought I'd talk about my great-grandfather's side. And I think this is a good, is a good example of how some people don't uh, maybe realize how um, diverse uh, some people could be. Um, you know, my great-grandfather... Uh, well, that one in particular was a uh, dark-skinned man, and I think even my, I think, you know, even some people in my family now, they just cast him off as like, oh, you know, he was like just black or whatever, but um, you know, he was, he came from a uh, pretty, um, I guess, uh, Cajun background, and this side is actually, I would say, uh, more Cajun in the sense that, um, you know, it's very um, more Acadian on this side of my family. And so, um, you know, I am related to a well-known family, the Bro, the Bro family um, of you know, South uh, Louisiana, I think uh, perhaps even the Bro Bridge was named after them. Who knows? But the Bro family, they were Acadians and they settled in uh, Louisiana, um, you know, uh, during uh, when we had uh, the migration and everything like that. And so uh, my third great grandmother, Marie Barbe Bro, was a Bro. She was born a Bro and she was born uh, a free woman of color in November of 1851 uh, in St. Gabriel, which is in Nivelleville. Um, I know some people probably might say that a little differently, but um, um, that's the more French way of saying it, Iberville. Okay, so if we were to basically for those of you guys who don't really know uh, geography uh, or not familiar with it uh, for Louisiana, I'm not even going to lie. I'm not the most familiar with it myself. <laughs> well, I'm getting better. I'm getting better. So um, if you were to talk about um, New Orleans, right, which is um, pretty east. Um, so St. Gabriel is a, is a city uh, in the... Uh, that is a little bit more uh, northwest, okay, um, heading in the direction of Baton Rouge, and it's um, actually um, just about south. So that's kind of where they were from, that that part of the family, like Becmin, uh, San Gabriel, or St. Gabriel, um, that area, right? And so um, what's interesting is that my third great-grandmother, uh, her mother actually uh, was a I well a free woman of color herself, 
And her dad was actually a white man. And this was interesting. Um, we did have a lot of, um, I guess, liaisons, you could say, between uh, white men and uh, women of color in Louisiana. But a lot of the time, uh, they were, um, I guess, you know, uh, there was actually um, laws preventing um, legal marriage and stuff like that. Um, so that makes it a little bit um, interesting to me um, that, you know, people claim that they, the two of them, my fourth great grandparents, were married in 1839. I have not seen any such, um, you know, marriage certificate or anything like that. So I'm guessing it's more of a common law marriage or something of the sort. And um, I initially thought that, oh, you know, I knew my, I knew Marie, uh, my third great grandmother was a, uh, you know, the child of a white man and a woman of color. So I initially thought, and this is, you know, I think a common assumption for a lot of people that it was a situation that, oh, yeah, you know, um, an enslaver and one of his slaves, right? However, I took a closer look, and I think this is a good example of why you don't want to assume too much sometimes. Like, just like, you know, I, you shouldn't assume, like, how, um, you know, some people look at my great-grandfather and see that he was of a darker complexion and say, oh, well, he probably is just, you know, um, just, you know, not uh, racially mixed or anything like that, but turns out he was he was the great grandson of a whole entire white man right and so um the uh interesting thing is that uh my fourth great grandmother josephine um was born in 1814 right uh and i was able to locate her in multiple sentence senses and typically you could assume that if you find a family member that is in a census before 1870 that they were a and they are listed as black or mulatto or something of that nature that they were a free person of color because you know as we know um people who were enslaved um up until you know the the abolishment of slavery didn't appear on this census until 1870 right so um What's interesting is that I, I when I found out that she was a free person of color, that was interesting to me because I'm like, wait a minute. So um, they're listed, my four free grandparents are listed together in the census. And normally if this, if she were enslaved, she would not be on the census because slaves were, you know, um, enslaved people were unfortunately not uh, considered people really at the time and so they were they were not counted essentially um so the fact that i have her in 1850 as listed as age 25 listed as mulatto living in iberville um you know i i then began to realize that okay well she was a free woman of color so that made it even more interesting that she was free woman of color but she was living and listed in the census with this white man and she had his last name and everything and they had uh multiple children uh at the time right uh and so um, i was like wait a minute so here's the thing if this were some sort of side piece or whatever um, you know, and she was just some little, uh, 
I don't know, um, you know, concubine or something that he would just like see, you know, um, when his heart desired, let's say, guess what? He would probably be living not with her, but with a white woman and have a white family. And that was, you know, that was common. Um, I don't know how common it was. Well, yeah, that was that was actually pretty common even at this time in like 1850. Right. Um, so but this white man was living with this, uh, you know, uh, mixed race woman and they had an entire family. So I'm like, that's interesting. So then I began to think, oh, well, perhaps this was just one of his uh you know, slaves that he had a certain liking to and decided to, I don't know, I guess, you know, just settle down with her. But then I actually, um, thanks to the work of, you know, incredible researchers on um, Africans in Louisiana and uh, enslaved people in Louisiana, like Gwendolyn uh, LaHall, I was able to look in uh, our database. We have a database, and this is um, something that I find to be like particularly unique to Louisiana because I haven't really seen much of it elsewhere. But there's a database containing a lot of information on enslaved people. And if you're wondering what that's called, it's appropriately named Louisiana U.S. Records of Enslaved People 1719 to 1820. So here's the problem. If you, if you are trying to trace your family back and you um uh you know you have a, you come from enslaved people uh in Louisiana the records only go up until at least the ones on ancestry um and i think that's also they they got it directly from uh Dr. Hall's database so her records only really go up to 1820 right so um the issue is that if there's a gap, right? So maybe your ancestors appear the first time in like a census or something. That's the farthest back you can get. And, you know, that's a pretty common brick wall for black genealogists um, where their people appear for the first time in 1870, but then they can't really trace back, you know, you know, before that because then, boom, there's nothing because that's when they were enslaved. So you have to figure out how to get from 1870 to 1820. And that, that is a span of, you know, perhaps multiple generations and could definitely be tricky. The only thing you want to look for and hope for is that you have an ancestor that was listed in 1870 that was very old, right? So... maybe that they were, uh, I don't know, let's just say they were 80 years old in 1870, right? So that would mean what? That they were born in like, I guess if my math is correct, 1790. So that means that there is a chance that they could be in one of these um, records that we have now in the Louisiana records of enslaved people that goes up to 1820 since they were born before that. Maybe uh, they were, I don't know, um, listed because they were sold from X person to X person or something like that. Um, that's typically uh, why, uh, you know, uh, someone uh, gets a record or something like that, right? Uh, there's also the uh, emancipation record. So if you know that your family is from Louisiana and that they, you have ancestors that were 
potentially emancipated in this period uh, between in this hundred year period between 1719 and 1820, you could perhaps find them. So I didn't really even think about this, but ancestry is with their AIs and little robots and such. They're so smart. Um, and they actually suggested it for me. And then I evaluated it and I was able to find guess who you guessed it. My fourth grade grandmother, Josephine in the records of emancipation, right? So if I look at her emancipation records, I'm seeing that uh, there is a female named uh, Josephine who was listed as a mulatto born in 1814, okay? And this record is dated, um, this should have been, I don't see it now, but I remember it was 1818, right? So she was about four years old at the time, and that's when she was freed. And it says, uh, you know, comments, reason why she was freed uh, was probably because her mother was in a sort of relationship with the um, master. Um, yes. So the mom was freed uh, with her four children. So it was three boys and one girl. So my fourth grade, uh, you know, um, my fourth grade grandmother, Josephine, was that one girl. Um, and it says that how it worked was um, the family, the mother and her four children were purchased by this free man of color on the condition that the slave and her four children be freed. So that's interesting, and it makes me think that the mother was in a relationship with some sort of free man of color who was, you know, of he was rather well off because I don't think you understand to purchase that many slaves at the time was extremely expensive. Like even back then, it was like thousands of dollars for that many, um, and you know, so imagine how much that would be worth now you had to had have money so this person essentially purchased them what no intention of keeping them slaves like the the sole reason why this person uh purchased them was to f have them freed which is you know that was a um definitely a kind act um that you would see a lot this could happen with family members um you know uh Sometimes masters uh, would do that, like the enslaver would do that. Um, sometimes the wife would do that. Um, sometimes the enslaver would have that um, put in a will or something like that. Who knows? Um, and so I, uh, this record is really good. It tells me that the previous owner was uh, Mélanie Fleuriot Charbonnier. I did some research on her and I really don't really know. I'm still working on trying to find a will or something or, you know, something that could help me learn more about this side of my family. Because that's what you have to do. You have to really look into like, okay, well, is this like, you know, do we have some sort of um, will or some sort of a document in the enslaving family uh, that would mention my enslaved ancestors, and that's what you'd want to ideally hope for. So, um, I so th this finding 
put a lot of things in perspective to me. Why do I say that is simply because now I know that my fourth grade grandfather was not the owner of my fourth grade grandmother because she had been free her whole life. She was freed when she was four years old. And then as an adult, she got with this white man. And, uh, you know, if we want to talk about Jean-Félix Brault, my fourth great grandfather, um, you know, he was from St. Gabriel, um, like I, I think I mentioned earlier. And um, it, he was a, he likely was a slave owner himself. Right. And uh, so in 1850, he's listed as a, a white male uh, who was um, uh, listed as a planter. And if you don't know uh, what a planter is, it's someone, that's what you call someone who owns a plantation, right? Um, you could, I, I guess, have a plantation and not own slaves, but, I mean, do you think he was doing all that work? Probably not. Um, and so real estate is listed at 4500 Whenever you see, uh, like, a census and they list, like, how much, like, like real estate someone has and it's in the thousands that usually means they have a decent amount of money okay and also if you are a planter you have a decent amount of money so this you know so just to summarize this right so we get this correct my for for grandmother josephine was born a slave right she was freed when she's four years old and then she grows up and then marries a white enslaver and um and essentially they have um you know they, they have um a plantation together from what i'm seeing right and and you might ask yourself why in the world would someone do that why would you be born a slave and then marry someone who has slaves that's weird Okay, well, um, this is what I talk about a lot of the time when I talk about a lot of people just simply don't understand um, slavery, right? Um, slavery was an economic uh, system. Um, I say that all the time. So it wasn't really um, this um, hypersensitive um, sort of, I don't know, um, romanticized thing that is often portrayed in the media. Um, where it's intensely, you know, some some slavery was like that, but I think we have to understand that there were different forms of slavery, right? Um, and and slavery um, meant different things depending on what you did, where you were, and who you were. Okay, uh, and so in Louisiana it was very common. Um, you know, the free people of color in Louisiana were some of the uh, largest um, slave owners. Um, some of them are very famous, like Martin Donato. Uh, was famous. He had um, hundreds of slaves when he died, I believe. Um, and he was a uh, man of color. Okay. Um, so that was that was not a rare thing. Um, a lot of people of color in Louisiana owned um, slaves because it wasn't like this, like, you know, crazy thing. Um, it was the norm. If you had means, you had money, you had people work for you. That just is how the moral, um, you know, was at the time um and so uh that that was the thing and and that i think presents a really interesting case 
And honestly, I am just as I'm making this episode, I'm actually like sitting down to think about it. I'm like, wow, she was literally born into slavery and then married uh, most likely an enslaver. And the interesting thing is that um, I actually found their oldest daughter's marriage certificate from, it says, I'm looking at it right right now, actually, it's the 15th of March, 1871. And uh, so this was Felice, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, Marie, uh, Mary F. Bro, uh, who is uh, 28 at the time, and she was marrying uh, Jean, Jean Dardin. Okay, and for Mary's parents, they, who do they list? She's a native of Louisiana, daughter of Felix Bro and Josephine de Gris. And I had seen a, a while back that somebody had listed, you know, her maiden name as Degree. And if you know, if you're from Louisiana, you, you know, from South Louisiana, you've probably heard of these families, the the Bro Degree, or you might hear Degrees or Degrees. Um, I actually um, have like a DNA match. Um, who is a Degrees? Uh, and um, so there are a lot of variations of the name. Sometimes it's degree, like I said. Sometimes it's degree. Voila. There's a lot of variations. Um, but, you know, I'm wondering where did that last name come from? Whose last name is that? How did she get that last name? So that's also something that I am uh, trying to look into. Because people had listed uh, the father of Josephine as this person with an extremely long name that I'm going to uh, entertain you guys in reading. Dominic. Joseph Dumenil Dufouchard Verloin de Gris, uh, who was apparently from St. John the Baptist, uh, born in uh, 1785. Um, I do not know if that is, you know, her dad or not. Um, that's something that I would have to, I guess, look into a little bit um further um in some in some way uh but it i guess it it could be it could very well be her father and maybe that's why the the name was there um and so you do have to look for clues like that and you see how like i found that out like i'm i'm not looking at my direct ancestors only some people try to do that but that's not you know that's not always the best way to do things you have to kind of, um, you know, sometimes like look at your aunts, look at the uncles, look at all of that, because there's going to be clues. Because like, for example, I couldn't find the marriage uh, certificate between my uh, third great grandmother. Uh, and, and you might say, oh, didn't you say your third great grandma was Mary? Well, there's two Marys, OK, because that's just how like people do it sometimes. Like the oldest daughter, who is my aunt, is uh, Marie. Uh, um, what is her second name? Marie uh, Felicie. Marie Felicie. And then my great grandmother, her sister, her younger sister, is Marie Barbe. So you have to be very careful. Some people have like you know similar names and stuff like that. Especially if you're dealing, I feel like I, I've seen that a lot with 
honestly, that's probably that could be like all over, but definitely Creole, Cajun uh, culture and stuff like that. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is that I was able to actually um, use these records, the records of enslaved people, right, to figure out the name of my fifth grade grandmother who was enslaved and got her freedom in 1818 along with her children. So um, I found that her name was actually Francoise, um, like a very French name, um, as we could expect. She was listed as a mulatto. Uh, and she, and yes, that was largely um, uh, often used as a racial, dis- like a physical descriptor. So um, that's what you might say, like, wait a minute, how they, how is the mother and daughter mulatto? It's not necessarily um, just someone who's like black and white, like biracial. It's usually like just, you know, physical descriptor to refer someone who had a lighter skin tone. So, Francoise, born in 1773, right? And she was freed in Louisiana, right? And her, you know, the owner, like I said, was Melanie Ferriot Charbonnet. Okay. Um, and so I, that was like her emancipation record right there. And, um, you know, I, I'm able to see some things that like she had four children. Um, I'm able to see that she was, um, you know, just a lot of, uh, things like who, who sold her. That Melanie Florio Charbonnet showed her to Francois Dico. I have not been able to locate Francois Dico in any um, record. So that's kind of like ooh, mystery. But this is so cool. I am so happy that I was able to find this. Like, are you kidding me? Finding the name and stuff about my fifth great grandmother who was an enslaved woman it, who was born in the 1700s. Are you kidding me? That's why. Dr. Hall did some amazing research. And if you are from Louisiana, you are so privileged to have this at your disposal because you can essentially, if, you, if you're you know, really careful and lucky also, you could trace your enslaved family literally to the 1700s. And maybe there are some people uh, that who perhaps... I haven't on this line been able to trace back to Africa or anything like that, but I'm probably very close because if you think about it, Francoise, my fifth grade grandmother, was born in 1770s. The first slaves really weren't bought, um, weren't taken uh, uh, to Louisiana until what, like, I don't, like 1715 to 1720-ish. That's when they started to really um, bring over uh, the first slaves from the Senegambia region of of Africa and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, really, I, it was probably Francoise. She probably had a um, maybe uh, uh, perhaps some, her mother, perhaps her grandmother, but definitely at least I would think her great-grandmother would have to have been born in Africa. So it's so close, and I wish I was able to um, maybe go further back, but um, I I would have to, um, you know, because since she has such a common name, Francoise, 
I don't really know because I think I uh I looked in the database, but you know, obviously there are so many people with that name, so I'll have to try to see. Um, and also if she were ha if she were in a record with like her parents, sometimes they list the parents' names, but not the children's names. So she could be, you know. Enfin bref. I'll end here. I hope you guys really enjoyed uh, this uh, this episode. Um, it's very interesting, and um, you know, I hope it it taught you a little bit more about um, Louisiana ge genealogy, Black genealogy, um, Creole genealogy, Cajun genealogy, all of that stuff, and just history in general.